line like they always are. And um, as and the praise team and Micah specifically does such a good job every week, and he did this in my mind as as we were preaching. Flip, just flip back with me for a second. I just want to remind us that these psalms aren't random. Um, they weren't put in a, a box, so to speak, and, and mixed up and just however they came out. They were organized in such a way. And before we get in to David's lament here, and this is what this is, Psalms 25 is where we are. It is an individual lament from David. I just want you to observe something that in Psalms 22 we get this picture we know reflects our Jesus of a Jesus that was forsaken for you. You see, what, we're, what he's beginning to show us is just the kind of shepherd that Yahweh really is. And then we get to Psalms 23 that we are all familiar with and we see that the Lord is my shepherd. We're going to see this again in Psalms 25 that he, that he cares individually for his sheep. He's a good shepherd. He provides and he cares. And we, then we get this understanding in Psalms 24 that Yahweh is the king who triumphantly leads us into the very throne room of God. This is Yahweh and this is the God that David now comes to and says, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. You see, we have seen this many times in David's life. That he oftentimes felt trapped, attacked. And trapped by the very trials in his life, the very sin in his life, the very sin in other people's life. He felt oftentimes isolated from those that you love. By the way, that's what sin does. It isolates you. He felt discouraged in heart. He felt hated by other people. Just asking you this morning, you ever felt that way? <laughs> if, you're, if you're human, <laughs> you have. This is the context for Psalms 25. It is to this God that we've been studying every week. David's response in these moments, in these dark days, is prayer. Praise. David seeking divine help in an unclear path. It's dark. He doesn't know what's going to happen. He doesn't know which way to go. And so I just want you to see today as we work through Psalms 25. David pleads for deliverance, for direction, and for defense. Pleads for everything we've just got through singing about. The amazing part about this psalm is this. That in his lament, where he's praying for deliverance, for his situation, that's woven through this whole psalm is this issue of forgiveness. He's aware because he's aware of his God. He's aware of his sin before his God. This is why David is a man after his God's own heart today. You see, prayer is the Lord's people exercising their saving faith, independence and communion with their God. Prayer is the Lord's people exercising their saving faith, independence and communion with their God. 
Only then can we understand Psalms 23 verse 4. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Well, how do we respond in dark days? And at the very end, I just want to introduce the growth group lesson and ask the question, is these dark days that you and I are facing or that we have faced or that they will face, are they meaningless? I first want us to see, just look at Verses 1 and 2, the Lord's people pray for deliverance. And they praise for deliverance from their enemies. To you, O Lord. Verse 1, I, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. David is, at the very onset of this, affirming his faith in his God. I lift. Now in the Hebrew language, they don't have tenses like the Greek. But this is continuous, even future. It's this picture of what we use when we say exalt Christ. It means, I lift it up. We lift up what? His soul. It means his life, all of it. Not just the exterior. Listen to Spurgeon. He had a lot of good quotes this week. It is but mockery to lift up the hands and the eyes unless we also bring our souls into our devotions. He's reflecting here at the beginning of his prayer, this lament of a situation, a confident hope. And I want you to see there's a theological lesson here that this sits on. Your good praying depends on your theology. Who are you praying to? He says, I'm praying to Yahweh. You see that? Oh Lord. The covenant God. A God who chose a people for His own glory. That God. Look who else He says. My God. That's Elohim. It's an amazing. See, Elohim is used more generally. But it's all through Genesis. This, this is especially pointing to two things. The one true God. And the God that is our Creator. When you begin to think about God as a creator, you must think of His transcendence. He is not like me. He is not trapped in time and space. He created it. He created the laws. He created, He spoke it. This is my God. You see that? Oh, good theology teaches you something, you see. God is both transcendent and yet He's imminent. He is outside of you and yet He is close to you. Don't try to unscramble it. That's God. He's God. He's the Creator God and He's mine. You see His confidence? His confidence is reflected. Look at the text. To you, O Lord. O my God, in you. There's His confidence. You see where His focus is? Right at the beginning of what do we do in dark days. Our confidence got to be focused in the right direction. We see right here from the beginning both a submission and an anticipation because of where his confidence lies. So he directs his confidence towards his God and then yet understand this. He understands. He identifies his enemies. We see this all through the Psalms. You hear verse 2 again. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. He goes on in verse 3. Let not. 
What? Here's what he's concerned about. Bringing shame on him. If you bring shame on God and his people, you bring shame on God and his glory. You bring in shame. They're going to bring shame. They're going to triumph. Returns to this theme in verse 20. I hope you know this passage. We hear it a lot. 1 Peter 5, verse 8. Important at this point. Brothers and sisters, I truly believe this is one reason why he keeps bringing up forgiveness all through this psalm. We must understand our enemy. We will not make it through the dark days and the trials of our life if we don't understand our enemy. If we don't identify him, identify it. Listen to first. Peter 5, 8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Verse 9, resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. He lays out a theme of confidence in his God, and yet he says, I have real enemies, and I have real trials in this life. I have identified them. I know what their goal is for my life. It is in the dark days, and this is important. It's hard to seek God in the dark days. It's hard to pray when you're depressed. It is. It's hard to pray when you're in the valleys. This is what he's teaching us. What we must do when we don't understand what to do is we direct ourselves towards our God and we clearly identify our enemy. I am concerned that some of us have made friends with our enemy. They have become a comfort zone in our life. So what? This is my point. I want to make sure I'm clear. Bad theology produces weak Christians. It does. What you lift up as ultimate in your salvation is what you're going to turn to in the dark days of your life. If you elevate a man-centered salvation, you will turn to yourself in the dark days of life and you will sink. It is possible for you to become the God of your present salvation. David saying, my hope is in my God. My sovereign, transcendent, yet imminent and close and personal God. In other words, first thing you do in dark days, and this can lift you up right here on this space right now. Know your God. Be confident and submissive. Anticipate what He's going to do because of who He is and what He's promised. Identify your enemy. In other words, we do this in our life. We lift up our God and we lay out our enemies before Him. And brothers and sisters, if you will do that most of the time in your life, that will give you victory right there on the spot. Because there are many enemies and what they have done to you and to me that I simply lay them before my sovereign God and move on by grace and faith with my life. He lifts up his God. He lays out his enemies. But then, in the main part of this text, the center, the point... Is in the midst of his dark days, in the midst of this lament, he prays for direction. He prays for directions in God's ways. Look at verse 4. Make, make me to know your ways, O Lord. 
Teach me your paths. Verse 5. Lead me in your truth and teach me for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. I just want you to see of all that we can learn today. Got to keep moving. In the dark days of your life, you got to be teachable. This is the hardest thing we fight against. Think about it. We've all been through moments of tragedy and trial. Most people are hard as a rock during that day. You can't speak much truth into there. You just got to sit with them. And after the storm passes, then you begin to try to speak truth and help them process. Here's what David's praying for himself. Lord, in these dark days, keep me teachable. I need to be teachable, God. You see, Yahweh is the teacher this morning. I'm not. I'm his spokesperson. The Lord is the teacher. That's what he's saying. Lord, you're the teacher. You teach me your ways. You teach me your paths. Show me your will and I'll walk in it. Lead me. As God will lead us into his presence. He's praying that he will lead me. All the things we turn to to be guided in our life. Many of us are using our very family members for God in our life. We should take our lament first to Him. He can handle it. You see, we've got to be teacher. We've got to be taught. So we want to be teachable. And it is hard to pray. It is hard to acknowledge God. In prayer. And it's hard for him to teach us. When we are in the depths of despair. His prayer. Is that he would internalize God's word. He's saying you lead me. You see points to this be submissive. He's not saying be submissive to a principle this morning. This is our problem. Of why we don't cherish this book. Is we see it as something, just a book we're supposed to submit to. He is submitting himself to the Lord. To his Savior. To the God of his salvation. This has our God's words to us in it. It's a family book. That's what we submit to. I love David Livingston. One of the things, you seek God's path, you seek God's will. He said, I'd rather be in the heart of Africa in the will of God than the throne room of England outside of it. We cherish that. Dark days may not lift. I can't promise you that the heart in your life is going to go away. I can't. I can promise you that the Lord will walk through you through it. That you can see God's will and path in it. We must be teachable. We must be submissive. We must be humble. Remember, all of this is saying, how do we respond in the dark days? We need to be instructed in the midst of the dark days of our life. And we must be humble. Verse 6. I love this word in the Bible. Remember. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been of old. Verse 7, remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me. For the sake of your goodness, O Lord. What does he mean by remember? Does God forget? This is why your theology is important, remember? God is omniscient. 
He doesn't need to remember because he has all knowledge of all things. He doesn't make a mistake and have to go back and correct it. He is not caught off guard by our sin and stupidity. He's not. He's, he's, he doesn't forget. So what does this mean? Remembering in, in reference to God in the Bible is, is to God calling himself to action. Or asking God to call himself to non-action. When God remembers, he is acting on his promises and his character. That's why it is really important for God's people to know both. He's saying, remember, look, remember what? Remember your mercy, O Lord. Remember your steadfast love. He's simply calling God to act on his character. And he's saying, your character is eternal. That's what he means. Of old. It's always been there in my life. It was there before I got here. It'll be there after I leave. Steadfast love. That was a beautiful word in the Bible. Steadfast. Firm. Your acts of mercy. David's recalling in the dark days of his life. This is important. The past acts of mercy and grace in his life. The past acts of grace and mercy in God's people's lives. He's also saying, act based on your character. Act based on your promises. But don't act. You see what he says? Remember not. What? The sins of my youth or my transgressions. What, how I really blew it when I was younger. And amen, can't we all admit that's true? <laughs> Praise the Lord. I still sin, but I sin less than when I was 18. We should be growing in that. Praise the Lord that he doesn't remember that. He's always saying, Lord, don't remember the sins of my youth. Don't remember my present sins. You see, David's seeking help with the view of his own failures. This is humility. The ground for... For his forgiveness is God's goodness. It's God's character. It's God's promises. not anything in him. How are you responding to the sins of your past when they creep up on you? Please notice verse 7. So beautiful. You can miss it if you're not careful. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. Remember me. You see that? Remember not my sins, God. Remember me. Oh, the humility in that prayer in the dark days of our life. And you see, David is comforted by this. You see it in verse 8 to 10. He's comforted by this. Good and upright is the Lord. Can't you almost see David being lifted up in the midst of the dark days? Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, He instructs sinners in the ways. Like, hey, sinner. He leads the humble in what is right. He teaches the humble His way. You see how important being humble in the midst of your life is? You can't be instructed if you're prideful. You can't know God. Matter of fact, prideful people don't think they need God because they think they probably already got Him. You see, the closer you get to God, the more clearly you see yourself. The more you need His grace and His mercy. Psalms 100. Psalms 100. We know this passage too. 
Psalms 100 verse 5 says, The Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. His faithfulness to all generations. You see, in order to know the will of God, you must know the greatness of God. God will not be had. You cannot just say, I want, I want what the, the, the family of faith offers, but I don't want God. No, He wants God. He's relishing. He's being lifted up. He's walking through the valley of darkness, declaring the greatness of God in the midst of it. In other words, He's worshiping. That's what He's doing. What, what would we just get through doing if it's not to lift up and remind ourselves who is God and to tell God who He is? In the midst of this, here we are again. Look at verse 11. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Verse 7, verse 11, same thing. It's a good thing when we're going through the valley of the shadow of death to remember and to ask the Lord to forgive us. Listen, forgiveness brings God glory. Forgiveness will release you right now from the burdens and the darkness that you're under. And let me be clear, because there is too much bad teaching out here by well-meaning people, we do not forgive to help us feel better. That is unchristian. It is unbiblical. We forgive to bring God glory. That's why we forgive. Do you see it? Forgiveness glorifies God. We forgive because it lifts the debt off of someone else because Christ lifted it off of me. That's why we forgive. Don't turn forgiveness into selfishness by doing it because you need to feel better. We serve God and He deserves our glory. He has forgiven us from cosmic treason. We forgive as we've been forgiven. That would lift you from your debt right now. Matter of fact, listen to what I'm saying. Unforgiveness might just be your enemy. And you haven't identified it. And you can't figure out why you keep stuck right here in this spot. Because someone hurt you way back when. And you have not forgiven them. And it leaves you stuck right in your spiritual tracks. It will harden you. It should scare you. We must forgive as we've been forgiven. Forgiveness brings glory to God. It's what we do in the valley of darkness. All of this is driven by in verse 12. It's driven by the fear of God. Who is the man who fears God? This is what he wants to happen, you see. Verse 12 is what he's been praying for the whole time. Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. That's what he's asking for. The point of that psalm, oh Lord, I need your help, Lord. You instruct me. Here's what he's saying. If I do not fear you, I will not see the right way. Only those who fear God see it. This is the clear teaching of Scripture. The person whom God will instruct are those who are living in the fear of God. And listen, the fear of God here takes a posture. I'm going to use a little illustration because it helps Stephen to use illustrations in his own mind. I just want many things we could, un we could talk about the fear of God today. I just want you to understand in context what it's telling, teaching us. The fear of God creates a posture. And in, in this way it looks like this. 
This is the posture. If you're taking this posture towards God right now, you are not living in the fear of God. Nor is the fear of God constantly living, hiding behind the chair. This is what he's saying. Those who fear God take a posture towards God that says, teach me. He's almost not sitting in his chair. He's about to come out of his chair. This is the posture of those who fear God. In other words, I can tell who fears God by your posture, your, how you respond to the Word of God. If you are flippant with the Word of God, you do not fear God. You are deceiving yourself and you will stay right where you are. This is not my idea. Psalms 111. Psalms 111 verse 10. Look what it says. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good what? Understanding. Proverbs 1.7. Same thing. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. If you don't want God's wisdom and instruction, if you don't feel like you're needed, the Bible's saying you're foolish. This posture in the dark days of our life that helps us walk through the valley of the shadow of death is one of that who, who has the Isaiah 6 experience and God says, fear not. He sits on the edge of his seat and says, tell me what I must do. This posture, listen, it makes us more responsive to God's word. It makes us more responsive to God's will. It produces something. Look in verse 12, 13, and 14. It's very straightforward. Like we've already said. Verse 12, it says, The fear of the Lord, the humble humility, being teachable, directing ourselves towards our God, laying our enemies out before God, saying, Lord, now teach me what I need to do. Verse 12 says, Those who fear God, those who walk this way, will be instructed in the way. Psalms 119-105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my what? path. want to know what God's Word says. Don't neglect the assembling of ourselves together. We don't neglect any time we can get together and understand what God's Word says and what it means and how do I apply it. It says in verse 13 that these people, He gives the provisions to accomplish His will. His soul shall abide in well-being. His offspring shall inherit the land. Not only that, this is an amazing verse in verse 14. We'll enjoy a fellowship. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear Him. Now that will help you understanding the fear of the Lord. Does anybody have in their Bible where it says friendship may be the secrets of the Lord? Anybody have a different translation that says that? Some translations do. The secrets... Of the Lord is for those who fear Him. Here, the more literal translation is the friendship. So why did the literal translation choose this word? It's because this, this God revealing Himself to His people is a confidential discussion. It is intimate fellowship. That's what that means. That's why it's the secret. <laughs> it's for God's people. It's for those who fear Him. For those who fear Him are instructed in His ways. Those who are not stay in the dark. See, walking with God is the best way to know the mind of God. 
You can't know the mind of God if you're not walking with God. This is why he says in verse 15, this is why my eyes are fixed on him. Have you ever seen a, I tried to find a picture, couldn't find the right one. A picture of an animal when he gets caught in a snare. Maybe he gets his front paw, it's like a wolf or a coyote to get caught in a snare. And you, what, what do they do? Somebody tell me what they do when they get their leg caught in a snare. They start pulling. You never say they try to start pulling away from it. You try to tell that coyote, if you'll just come closer to it'll it'll feel better, you know. Try to get that that guy to come closer to if you try to get him out of the snare. You ever seen anybody try to get one out? That's what he's saying here. I'm going through this and I know it's true, but I'm not, I don't have my my eyes on. That one I'm stuck in. I have my eyes on the Lord because He is the only one that can remove this. And, and I need to know His ways. So when He tells me to go this way, I need to go that way. This is the only way this is going to change. I got to know His way. I got to go where He says to go. I got to do what He says to do. I got my eyes on Him. I don't have my eyes on my problem. The Lord's people pray for deliverance, they pray for direction. They also pray for defense. In other words, this is another way to say David's coming back to where he ended with deliverance. He's praying for defense. We're back at, look at verse 16. Turn to me, be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. Verse 17, now we're back in Psalms 25. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. There it is again. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. This is, this is a wonderful truth. That's why we love God's people should love to pray. When you go to God, just be honest. He, he's not blind of a situation. <laughs> He's not blind of his own sin in his life. That's why he keeps bringing it up. Psalms 9.12, we see this all over. It's another place. He's saying the same thing. For he who avenges blood is mindful of them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. Be gracious to me, O Lord. See my affliction and for those who hate me. O you who lift me up from the gates of death. He's saying, I'm about to die. Rise to my defense, God. And so he, he issues in, in these first next verses these short prayer requests. I'm lonely, God. I'm isolated from those. Those who've loved me, turned on me. There's those that they really hate me, God. I, I can't stand it when people hate me, God. Listen, we do not complain about God. We complain to God. It's good news this morning. You say, can I complain to God? Absolutely. Matter of fact, you need to complain to Him first. A lot of the people that love you a lot would not feel like they're constantly walking around with your spiritual vomit on them if you would first put it up to God. He can handle it. He's honest. He's asking him to consider it. You see that? Verse 18, consider. Consider, I like verse 18. Consider the enemy that's without God and consider the enemy that's within. 
means to turn your attention to. That's what he's praying. God, turn your attention, connected to that remembering, turn your attention to this. I love Spurgeon again here. Speaking of verse 18, he says this. Blessed is he to whom sin is more unbearable than disease. He shall not be long before the Lord shall both forgive his iniquity and heal his diseases. That's a good word. Does your, does your internal sin bother you as much as your external problems? Verse 20. This word all through the Bible. Guard my soul. Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame. Or I take refuge in you. This word guard, you know how many times it's in the Old Testament? 400. It's not counting. There's another word that means keep. It's in there all the time too. Look, in your, in your um, guide, there's a reference to Psalms 121. That's the other word, keep. I want to show you the same word, Psalms 119. It's not in your notes. You'll have to write that one down. Psalms 119, verse 9. 119, verse 9. Have both, you have both words here. But you see them both. How can, you, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. We have both words, it's all through the Old Testament. But here we have this word guard. He's guarding it, you see. The psalmist is. Praying God in Psalms 25, guard me. And here you see, how do we guard it? By the same thing David's seeking. To be instructed by God. We use it to guard our way. Look at verse 21. It say, may integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. So the question is that people like to write big books on, is he speaking of God's integrity and uprightness or his own? Point is, for I wait for you. It's in here a couple times. It's just the anticipation I mentioned at the beginning. He's anticipating. Listen to this, not my words. To pretend to wait on God without holiness of life is religious hypocrisy. To trust in your own integrity without calling upon God is presumptuous atheism. Speaking of this verse, perhaps the integrity and uprightness referred to are those righteous attributes of God which, which faith rests upon the guarantee that the Lord will not forfeit His word. I think that's a pretty, pretty good takeaway. Saying, God, based on who you are, guard me, preserve me. I'm, going, I'm looking forward to it. I expect it. Because I know who you are. I know what you've promised. Read this this week. Frederick Nolan, fleeing religious persecution in North Africa, ran into a cave with his enemies shortly behind him. He felt certain that they were going to catch him. Matter of fact, he knew they were. But he just couldn't run anymore. So he, he, he ducked into this cave and prayed, waited, 
He thought they were going to find him and kill him. But as he, wait, as he waited in the cave over the entrance, this little spider began to do his little thing and weave his web over that small entrance of the cave. In just a matter of minutes, the cave was covered. Sure enough, the enemies found the cave. But because there was a spider web in front of the cave, they said there's no way someone went into the cave and they went on about their way. He wrote this, Where God is, a spider's web is a wall. Where God is not, a wall is like a spider's web. God's presence was David's wall. It was his shield. The question this morning for us is what's guiding you through your dark days? You see, Lost and saved alike go through dark days. Dark days do not go away when you're saved. Matter of fact, they can get more intense. The growth group lesson is trying to help us with this. I just want to point a couple of things just to sort of tease you into, into your growth group. You get ready for that. So turn with me to the growth group lesson. 2 Corinthians 4. I want to start a little ahead of it. I just want to point out a couple of things. I want to try to encourage us as we go today. It's been a very practical lesson, application, almost the whole thing. Paul is, is a man who suffered until they cut off his head. His suffering never stopped. He did not retire and go to the beach and collect seashells. He, he labored for and with his God until, until the Romans cut off his head. Writing to, to the Corinthian church. Look at verse 4. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord. We ourselves as servants, you know what that word is? Slaves, it's doulos, slaves, we are our servants. Slaves, your slaves, for Jesus' sake. Verse 6, for God said, for the God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in your hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You are saved today. Elohim, the Creator, the very one, verse 6, that said, Let there be light, has revealed Himself to you. And it is true that we are frail. That's what verse 7 says. You're a clay pot. Which means what? <laughs> you're fragile. You're weak. That's true. It's not the point. It's the contrast. It's the surpassing power. It's what we have in us. The picture is that we are giving something that reflects the power of God. We pour it out. The frailer the vessel, the more glory Christ gets. These hard times in our life, brothers and sisters, reveal a couple things. We see it. We are frail and weak, but we've been given a treasure. When we suffer, we gain a witness that we would never gain if we didn't suffer. He's saying, when this happens in my life, I pour it out 
so God can be glorified. All I want you to see today is a powerful verse. Because there's a therefore in this growth group lesson. It's in verse 16. You see the word so? It means therefore. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Everything he said before. I'm perplexed. I'm crushed. Yes, 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 that's true. Don't lose heart. That's true. Your outer self is wasting away. And here's also true. Your inner self needs to be renewed. In other words, God didn't give you everything. You're not completely sanctified at your salvation. You need to be renewed. And suffering is the means that God uses to renew us. To remind us that we need Him. We don't have enough fuel for the rest of our life. We need to stop. We need to pull in. As I heard Piper say one time, you need to suffering remind